Amen. So good. Wow. We are in this series uh, on Isaiah 53, um, and I hope that you guys are enjoying it. Is it okay? Yeah? It's good? Yeah, walking it out, walking it out. Um, so I'm going to, it's like two of you, that's great. Um, so here, here's one of the desires I would have um, for us uh, as a family to walk through in this season, and uh, in, in that we would go to uh, this uh, Isaiah 53 um, and, and maybe just allow it to give us a new gratitude or a refreshed gratitude for all uh, that Christ has done. All that was required was done in Christ. And so um, as we come to Easter, kind of as uh, has already been said, like this is the pinnacle of it all, where we see the fulfillment of it all. And so as we come to this moment, man, I hope we come to that moment fully aware and, and just full of awe and gratitude. And so um, I'm gonna encourage you to do uh, what starts for me tomorrow. I'll be starting reading this first. I've been reading a couple of times a week. But uh, tomorrow, I'm just going to read through this passage, which starts, the servant song starts in uh, 52, 11, and 12, starts there and goes all the way through to the end of 53, and just reading it, asking the Lord to reveal to me that. Um, some other things that, just as a family, I wanted to say um, for us in this season, uh, there are some, um, there's some hiring going on, and there's some updates with different things that are happening around the campus, so um, this coming week, Scott Huber, our chairman of the board, and I will do a video that'll be coming out, just going to update, make sure everybody's in the know of what's going on. Uh, two, we can get an update from him with him starting his role, and I'm sure you always want to hear about that, uh, just the things that are going to be going on. But there, there's some shifting and changing and things that are going on, so I just want to make sure as a family we're all in the know. Uh, so we'll do that video this week. If you're not getting the updates on Friday in our bulletin, you'll miss that kind of stuff. So if you are not getting that, uh, please make sure you put your email um, and uh, go to the welcome table. We'll put your email there so we can follow up with you, put you on that list, and make sure you get the updates uh, and you're in the know. So... Um, just want to make sure we're all there. Other thing is family business, Easter's coming. We said that already. So uh, on Easter, last week you would have got a rock. Um, and if you missed that, it's okay, we'll have rocks. And if you missed out like, and you really want a rock between now and Easter, uh, we talked about it representing uh, Christ and that sometimes we pass him by, right? And First uh, Peter 2 describes this, that he was rejected. Um, and this, we brought up this idea that we don't want to pass him by. And sometimes the dull and boring things in life, the good things like the fruit of the Spirit, we just walk by and we don't even acknowledge it. We don't live in it. We don't walk in it because it's annoying sometimes. And sometimes people live that out in front of us and we go we see a christian doing christian things and we go ew that's annoying and uh so we we uh we we just want to like be real about that and i ask you to put that rock somewhere as a reminder right and and so if you missed out what you can do is the simple thing as you walk out today this whole place is surrounded by those red rocks you have permission i got it from tony all right you can pick up a rock and take it home with you uh and on easter bring it back not because we're missing the rock but because uh, um we have it's going to connect with the message on easter if you don't have one and you don't you forget at easter we're going to have rocks to pick up at the door if you bring some people with you they can pick up a rock at the door so that nobody's going to miss out praise god all good in the know you're in the know now i'm going to transition now open up your bibles with me Isaiah 53, love hearing those pages. Somebody get excited, we're opening the word of God together. Yes, right? Never wanna take it for granted. So um, we're in this uh, verse, verse four, going through verse six. 
And this whole thing we're going to get today in these passages is the extravagant love of God, right? This extravagant love of God. What is required is kind of like, that, that's what's needed in situations. And Jesus, and we know God's love. And if you read the Bible or you've been in you know, any place in proximity to Jesus, you know this already. He just loves going above and beyond. Amen? And so what we're going to see today is him being extravagant in his love. And I was thinking about this extravagant love this week and trying to figure out if I had a picture or something. But for me, uh, honestly, when I, when I thought of this picture, I really did go back in my um, kind of Rolodex of experiences of experiencing the extravagance of something, my first day plumbing. It was, you know, seriously, this, this was an amazing moment. So I want to share it with you real quick. But I walked on, the, I, this is my first week, and we got to a job, and we're walking around, this is a um, beach community there in New Zealand, and uh, my lovely boss wanted to just show me, you know, get me, you know, on my own and doing this stuff, so he was showing me the ropes, and we pull up to this job, and it's this house that has a leaking uh, basement, and, and uh, it's just, you know, hard for this person to... To, uh, to a lady who had got this as a beach house. She couldn't do any of the work. She's like, please come and do this. So we're there looking at the work and we got all this machinery and we pull it off the truck and, and I'm like, wow, this is gonna be crazy. It's gonna be awesome. We're gonna dig out all this dirt, right? And with all the machinery and I get to play, it's like having toys. Um, but it was um, not that at all. Actually, the, the owner came out. We talked about what needed to be done and she's like, please don't take down my porch, I love it. It's like this wraparound porch all the way around the house and she could stand on it and she had the view of the beach. It's like, you know, we, we, we want to do this job without removing the porch and we're, I'm looking at my boss. My boss is looking at her and I'm, I'm like, like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, hoping that he doesn't say yes to this job still because that means I'm going to have to hand dig all around this house and I know this is going through my brain. Like, please, and I can see it coming out of his mouth and as soon as it came out of his mouth, like this pit went into my stomach like, oh, and he went to the truck, sure enough, pulled out two shovels, handed me the shovel and said, welcome to work, right? And, and he, started, he said, hey, I gotta go. <laughs> As a good, no, it's not a good boss. Uh, he was a good boss, but that wasn't a good boss moment. Uh, he, he said, hey, I gotta go and I've gotta get uh, wheelbarrows to make this job a little easier. And I'm like, oh, great. Um, wheelbarrows like we're going back in time here we're not going forward in time this is not helpful so then I started digging and and uh, we had to dig this trench around this house so we could expose the basement and wrap it with this black rubber to keep out the water then put stone and drainage around so we you know keep this basement dry and about halfway through this thing you know I'm digging this is taking us days like I'm coming back every day looking at this thing like this is, this is not normal. Like, people don't do this, right? I've lost five pounds and, you know, I don't know. But I, I was gaining muscle. That was great. It was awesome. But I was losing weight seriously. And it was horrible because it was in the summer. And the whole time, all I could think about was the machinery that was sitting over there, staring at me, laughing at me. Like, this could be done over here so much easier. And I was saying things that I shouldn't be saying as I'm shoveling out the dirt and I'm in there in the trench and I'm shoveling it out going, why is this porch so important? You know, all the things that you think when you're in those kind of positions and the wall that I got to at one point was 16 feet deep and I'm digging and my boss, I remember one of the later days and we're looking back, we finally got kind of out the other side and we started on the next part of the job and he's looking, he's like, you know what, we probably should have put something up so that doesn't cave in on you while you're in there digging. You know, I was like, oh, thanks. Thanks so much, yeah. 
OSHA, where are you now, right? Um, but it was, it was seriously crazy because when you're digging near the beach, you know, there's like sand mixed with dirt. So when you dig, it just caves in. It was great, fun. Anyway, the end of that thing, and we got this job done. I remember the, the, the owner of the house coming out and just saying, hey, this is amazing. Thank you so much. And I can see as she came around and would see how much work it took. Wow, this, this really, like you guys, you put a lot into this. And her, her expression of gratitude because she saw how much work that we did, I remember it filling my brain with just all kind of good feelings, right? And, and, I, and I walked around with my chest puffed out like, I'm the man. I, I did this, right? Like first, my first plumbing job, I could look at it. And then we filled it in, we put grass seed down, and you couldn't even tell we were there. And I was like, oh, this is great. Um, it's all under the ground, no one will ever know. But I know, and I received the thanks from a person who knew and saw how much it took. And this was extravagant. This was above, above and beyond what we should have done, what any other job uh, person leading that job would have done was say, hey, we need to remove the porch, get in there with a digger, and we'll get this done in one day. Like a backhoe would have done that work so much easier. But instead, we honored the request of that person and took over a week to dig that dirt. And I often, I, I think of this as Christians, Christ followers, that Christ has done a lot for us. And sometimes we come to the table, we, we enter into this conversation with God like it's nothing. We start a conversation with God like, what's up, Jesus? How you doing, man? It's been a good day. Maybe you don't talk like that, but I talk like that in the morning. Like, oh, what's up, Jesus? You know, I'm brushing my teeth. I'm thinking, how you doing today? Like, it's going to be a great day. This is the day. You know, ringing true in my head, my, the songs from my mom. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has. No, you guys don't do that? No? I'm just entering into communion with God. This is the day. Hey, God, you know, today's the day that you have made. So, God, what do you want for me in it? I want to be led by you. I want to walk with you. I want to journey with you. God, if there's a person I need to talk to, like, this is the conversation I'm having with God at the beginning of the day. And I just entered right in. But do you know that there was a process for us to get here? And I think many believers don't realize, like when we come to the table and we have communion with God, His Spirit dwells in us and we have this now connection with the Father, the Holy Spirit, God in us, dwelling, Emmanuel with us, we have this, and we can just start conversation. We can come to the table, have a meal, look at the Word, pull from it, draw from it. The Holy Spirit speaks to you through the Word of God, reveals the truth to you, and you're just like, oh, that's so cool, that's so awesome. And then you move on with life and you go and do other things like that's nothing. But actually, there was a whole process that God put in place that actually introduced us to the Messiah that, we had to, that the Messiah would have to achieve and do that actually talks to us and communicates to us about how extravagant the love of God is. What was required for us to come back to communion with God was actually something incredibly massive. And I just don't ever want to be the person. I don't want to ever be that follower that just cheapens what God has done. Coming to the table not realizing with gratitude in my heart or overwhelmed with the love of God in that moment, even that I can talk with him. I, just, I don't want to ever like, cheapen that. I, don't want to, I want to come to the table, especially this Easter, and, and remember what Jesus said and actually take to heart what he's saying when he says this about himself. God 
so loved the world. That's a, that so means extravagantly. He so extravagantly loved the world that he gave. And when we hear that this Easter, I hope it's a gut thing that starts here and comes out and we go, whoa, God, thank you. So loved us. You so love us now. It's amazing. Thank you, God. And what you're thinking of is what he went to to accomplish what you get now that you get to commune with him. And now that we get to celebrate, have joy and thanksgiving and awesome experience of the Holy Spirit on that resurrection day. To go, wow, this is amazing. You can only say it's amazing because you have this revelation by way of the Holy Spirit that was given to you because Jesus did what he did. There's a whole process that came before the fact that you actually know it. Do you get that? So what came before? Well, Isaiah 53 lays out what happened to him. I want us to go there. Verse 4, this is what Jesus took on so we could enter into the Holy of Holies and have this communion with God. Here we go, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced. Get this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with, and some versions say, by his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This had to happen. This is Messiah coming and offering us freedom. How? How did he get there? Well, Here's Messiah Jesus. Let's fast forward. Let's go to Mark. Mark. Everybody say Mark one time for me. I'm trying to learn how you say it. Anyway, Mark 15, 16. Here we go. The soldiers led Jesus away into the courtyard of the palace known as the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole company of soldiers. So this whole company, 20 or more soldiers are there in this company standing before Jesus He's been accused now. They dressed him up in purple robe and twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. These two-inch thorns going into his skin, likely drawing blood. They saluted him, mocking him, right? Hey, king of the Jews. Again and again, they struck his head with a stick. They spit on him and now before him to honor him. When they finished mocking him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his own clothes back on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. I bring up this moment to say, here's this iniquity of our sin, the fruit of our sin leads, we don't realize it often, but the sin that we participate in leads to misery and death and destruction. And here uh, described for us is what I would call our substitution. What we deserve is to receive for our sin this kind of uh, fruit, if you could call it that. But Jesus, or Messiah, substituted himself. Substitution is the, the word I would use. It's theologically used, but also for myself, I understand subs. I, I love eating subs, but 
I mean substitution in a sports sense. I played basketball, so when I would sub in for somebody, they would come out of the game and I would go into the game. There's a substitution happening, and here, described here, what Jesus received was our punishment for our sin. And it continues, and we know the continuation of that story, that Jesus then went to the cross, and and the crucifixion happens, and he received a piercing of his side, and he received uh, many more of of the mocking and the beating that continued. This substitution, as we see it, described in Isaiah 53, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Like all, like there, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. And so there's needed for us to have a substitution. Messiah is told to us that he will be the substitution, that he will receive these things instead of us. And by that, we will receive healing. We will receive peace, as Isaiah 53 just described to us. So for us, when we worship ourselves or live life for ourselves to get what we want when we want it, we live in what is described as sin. Sin, missing the mark and going against God. This is us putting God aside and building life on our desires to get what we want. And what we see in the gospel, especially the gospel of Isaiah 53 here, is this, that Jesus, Messiah, God, comes and substitutes. He sees your life built on yourself and on your sin and that it gets you nowhere and nothing but misery and death, pain and grief. And so what he does, he enters into our life and he subs in or he is a substitution. He removes us from the equation so we don't get what we deserve. He puts himself in there where we were meant to be, and we receive the punishment of the life that we desired and went after. We substituted him from the equation, put him aside, and he does the same for us. Except, I hope we all see this, we get the bitter end of that deal. Jesus' love for us is so extravagant that it truly changes everything. One of the theological terms that when we talk about substitution, what it does and what he does by putting himself in there as a substitution, what he does is he atones for our sin. This word atonement, uh, we're, I want to unpack today because that's what is described here in Isaiah 53. And I think, it, I hope, as we look at the tabernacle and what Jesus set up as the system to atone for our sin, that Jesus then qualified all these things and put himself in the place of that whole system. And now we get to just enter in and come to the table. So I want to make sure we fully grasp this atonement for our sins. We know that one of the earliest parts of this that we see this in Scripture is where Israel is there under Pharaoh and under his oppression as slaves. And God sends these plagues. And the last plague he sends is this plague where death goes to every home and kills the eldest son. And in that... Jesus, or God is saying to the Israelites, take the blood of the lamb and paint the doorposts. And as death comes, it will pass by. 
As the angel comes around, he will pass over those homes. And we see the blood of the lamb being this uh, thing that allows death to pass over. The death of that lamb, the blood, the sacrifice, covers the sin and presents a cleanliness. The blood atones. That death is in place of others' death. It's a form of substitution. I wanted to just mention that because one, um, you know, this message I would entitle it the lamb uh, because it's really what we need to picture when we picture Jesus in this way from these verses we need to have an understanding of him as the lamb but also to say at Easter one of the things I love to do is love to eat lamb uh, you may say Bryce that's really morbid that you would bring that up but lamb is really yummy and I come from New Zealand where we eat lots of sheep okay and um, I would do this sometimes in when I would do communion um, I would actually like bring in different elements and one of the things I love to do around Easter is just you know do communion but have a lamb present when I'm doing communion which communion should be at every meal but in this way at Easter just a reminder for myself that there's one that's gone before and what he did was die and I just never want to forget that there's a cost involved in my being able to approach the father and have relationship it's incredible and I love him for it we just sang about this love that we have for Jesus. And I'm questioning and I'm wondering, where is that love coming from, from for you? Why is that well so deep? That love and appreciation you have for Jesus, why does it run so deep? One of the reasons why it should run so deep is that you recognize that as Messiah, he went before you and did all of these things so you didn't have to. So we didn't have to. So I want to look at this. I want to actually picture this, and we're going to run a video real quick just to show us what the tabernacle looks like. Uh, I know there's a local thing you can go to if you want to find out. You can actually Google it local. Um, there's a tabernacle you can walk through. I'd encourage you to do it. But um, here's a video real quick. Let's run that. And I'm just going to uh, quickly just talk about each one of these things that you're going to see. Here we are outside the tent that's been created, the walls, everything's measured, everything's been given description of um, from the caps of those posts to the things that wrap those posts and then the different colors that are on the gate. This is where Jesus says, I am the gate. He becomes the entranceway and so uh, there's the parallel there. We walk in and this is where the priest would be and this is the altar where the sacrifices would go that would be burning hot. Uh, it's described as bronze, really actually today it would be called copper and uh, that's where the priest would go and, and, and do the sacrifices. Right here is the basin, the, the, the laver there where they would wash their hands daily and wash their feet and be clean and pure so they could enter in uh, and through these curtains which would bring them into this first room. And in this first room, you're going to see the bread right there to the right, which we'll get into talking about in a minute. You're going to see the menorah, the, uh, the candle, which is actually oil burning at this lampstand, which was pure gold. Then you're going to see the altar where the incense is burned, and that would fill that whole area up with the sweet smell, a sweet uh, aroma. And then entering into the next space uh, where the the Holy of Holies is where the priests would go and make atonement for all of Israel. Here is the altar there where the blood would be sprinkled, uh, the mercy seat, and of course this um, which they would have carried, uh, which you know, you know, we have the picture if you've 
followed along, we see this Ark of the Covenant, um, which they carried and were given instructions on how to carry it. Now they've found a place where they're situated, and so God gives them instructions um, for uh, this Holy of Holies and a place where he can come and then meet with them. Okay, and so in this place, we know they're represented by a cloud that would come down. The presence of God would dwell there. And, uh, and that's why it was so important that when the priests entered in to the Holy of Holies, they, you know, we have heard this picture before. They'd tie something around uh, either their ankle and, and they would go in in case they would actually die because if they touched the covenant, they were unclean, they would die. And then they had to pull them out. We saw that people die when they accidentally touched the covenant. And so um, this, is, this is a picture of the holiness of God the holiness of God and, and, and this is why we go here today is because it's so easy for us to commune with God now we forget where we started all of this why? So, so his people could come back and have communion why do I say bring this Easter like make the table the place like maybe you want to go and make that the place where you do your quiet time this week as a reminder like the whole time God is wanting this desiring this that we would come to the table and have communion with him and it starts with this that uh, we get this picture in, um, of this from all of it um, here as we look uh, and I want to read through actually I don't want to read through because we don't have time but uh, you can go to Leviticus 4 and you can read through there um, all the different stipulations that were given Exodus 25 you can read through all the different elements that were given that we just went over but I want to just do this real quick I want to walk through and show you how the Messiah has made this possible for you and I that we can enter in by just going through each one of those elements and then look at how Isaiah 53 the gospel uh, of the Old Testament, the first gospel sets us up to have a full understanding and awareness that, hey, this is, this is Jesus. This is Jesus, okay? First is this, the altar. When you enter into this time, in this place, and you would bring uh, your sacrifice, and you would have to enter into that gate, and the first thing you come to is the priests ready to take that offering from you, and, uh, and then they would uh, slit it. I mean, how detailed I want to get in this room but there was blood spilled right and then they would capture that blood and then there would be a burning of that uh, animal as well and then they would take that blood and use it to sprinkle uh, but that that sacrifice often lambs or goats offered to the heat of the fire for atonement the covering that atonement meaning the covering and forgiveness of our sins um, was represented right there in Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And this is what would happen to the animal, the sacrifice that would come. And they would go and they would meet the flames, right? And here's the substitution. What do we deserve? Where would we go if we don't have atonement for our sins? We would end up going to meet the flames. We would end up in death going to a place called and described as hell, eternal burning and suffering. This is, this is crazy that right here in this moment, we're getting this opportunity to see what God provides in Christ is that substitution. He's like, you know what? That's not where I want you to go. So I'm gonna offer a way out and he provides himself as that. The penalty has to be paid and Jesus pays that. So right away when you enter into this, um, God designed this thing so that we would have 
uh, our sins covered and taken away. The second thing is this, right there, the, the laver, the basin of washing, the second piece of furniture, washing, this washing basins for the, for the priests uh, called to laver. And before I go any further, just remember, like we can, as, this day, as we see ourselves, we're called to be what? A royal priesthood. So the life that you have now in Christ is like this, the royal priesthood. So our life, we're supposed to have a washing. How can we have a washing? We don't have a basin. We don't have a tabernacle. Unless you have one in your backyard, you do this every day. But we don't have that. Well, what do we have? We have Christ, who is described as the living water. And in this basin was this water which would clean and wash their feet. What did Jesus do with the disciples? He got down and he washed their feet. In every way, hear me church, in every way Christ has come and offered a way, he's humbled himself in such a way to make us acceptable in God's sight. So what? We can have communion with God and not just that, but he fills us with the Holy Spirit, this water now to to become Christ in this place where you live, in this season, at this time. You are set apart. Just like this tabernacle is set apart and these priests were set apart, we are to be set apart. And we can have that set apartness if we are doing this, washing ourselves and, and getting an understanding of who Christ is and spending time with Him, which is an amazing thing that we can even do that. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says like this, And such were some of you, but you were washed, describing those in the old life and, and going their own way, right? Some of you were like that, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's why I'm important. You can't ignore the fact that the Spirit is here, has arrived, and now we are filled with the Spirit, right? Anointed and appointed to do something. You have a calling, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, God has set you apart to be here in such a time as this. And he's washed you, he's sanctified you. It's an incredible thing. Don't take that for granted, this Easter. The third thing is this, the golden lampstand. On the south side, as you would enter in uh, to that tabernacle, into the tent, on the south side, the holy place, stood the pure golden lampstand. The gold was formed into a shape, and this is important for us to understand, the almond tree, this full bloom of life, uh, which was beaten and hammered into this shape, had six fruitful branches with a central shaft, the trunk, right? They were designed to hold seven bowls filled with olive oil and to provide light, the only light that would be in that whole place. There was no light at all in the holy place except that which came from that golden lampstand. And I wonder like what light we try to get in, what perspective we try to get into our lives when the only light is meant to be him. And Jesus made a way for us and poured light into our life. And often we can set aside him very quickly and disregard his light, but this is the way we're supposed to see the world, is by his light, through him. You think about his, the lampstand is a, almost like a filter. If you put it on sunglasses that had a tint to it, this is how I would describe the lampstand. The way we as believers are supposed to see the world is through the lens of Christ. Beaming light on everything that we're supposed to be able to see and see through 
him. This is incredible for us. Revelation 21, 22, it goes like this, describing where we will go in heaven. And, and, and this, uh, John is seeing this. He says, and I saw on, the, on uh, sorry, no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the, say it with me, Lamb. Say it out loud, Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it, gives it light, and its lamp is the lamb. That's who we worship. That's who you just sang about. Jesus, we love you, right? What were you thinking about? Why did you love him? Why do you love him so much? I hope it's because you're overwhelmed with the extravagant so love of God. This Easter, you're thinking about why would the so love of God be so extravagant, so immense that that love, awesome, pure God who is the light of heaven, the Lamb of God, step into my world, my life, become like me in human form and go to to this great length to go to the cross to die in my place. That doesn't make sense, right? That's crazy. That's extravagant love. When I see this picture of Jesus and I equate, this is Jesus, the light of heaven, also distributed, right, in that tent, the tabernacle, this light was supposed to show us this is the Jesus that's coming. And this is the light now that we're supposed to carry. Man, it's quiet in here. That's the light of God that you're, you have. Christ's light is in you. We're supposed to be what? Salt and Oh, I'm sorry. I really can't hear you, church. I'm not that far away. We're supposed to be salt and Come on, man. This is so important. We, we, we should never forget these things. And I, I, I'm, you know, I look at this and I go, wow, they had, they had one up on us, the children of Israel in this season, in this, that they had all these reminders, the, all these reminders and, and places where they could be so thankful that God provided these things for them to come into communion with him. And yet for us, sometimes we can cheapen it because what? We can just start a conversation. It's like we're in the Holy of Holies. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Come on. And you've been sanctified. You've been washed. You've been cleaned by the blood of Jesus. And you stand here redeemed, a new creation in Christ. And you just go, what's up, Jesus? Not realizing that that conversation, that word, hey, What's up, Jesus, was purchased by his blood. The next thing on the opposite side of the room, the golden table of showbread, directly opposite, right there, the 12 loaves of bread was set on it once a week during the week, and the bread was displayed before God, and on the Sabbath, the priest would eat it once a week. Thus God and man shared the same table together, the fellowship of the same bread, Yes, we can say, hey, Jesus, you're the bread, but let's stop for a second. This is what was desired by God all along. This is what he wanted, and he got it once a week with a few measly priests. And in this room right now and all around the world right now on this Sunday, many priests are filling many rooms, and they're about to go eat. And I pray and I hope that none of them take a bite without saying, thank you, Jesus, for being the bread of life, the bread of heaven, and and giving me all that I need. You're my provision. You're everything. And having a conversation with Jesus because, you know what? Every meal was supposed to be like that. From after the time when Jesus made himself the bread, the sacrifice that we needed, we were supposed to, as believers, go, what? Wow, God, thank you for being my sustenance, providing everything I need. 
Let's not cheapen what God gave us. I did this, I did this probably wrong, right? This is probably a really sick religious, but in young adults one time, I just kind of make this point and to gross them out. I did wings and Coke for communion because I wanted them to understand like the bread was significant for this purpose. It was the most common thing that would be eaten in that time. It was the most common thing and it would sustain everything you needed, right? And what were the young adults that I was ministering to at that time eating? Wings and Coke. And that was all they were eating and drinking. It was kind of sad. Now, I'm sure they ate other things on random days. But if you put wings and Coke, that's what they would eat. And so I just put out wings and Coke and I said, let's eat, but don't touch it without giving thanks and starting a conversation with God. Because none of it exists without him. And he did everything he did because he wanted what? He wanted to come to the table. He wanted us to come to the table with him and have a conversation. So as we took that and we broke the wing, this is gross, right? And then we put it in our mouth and it kind of burned. It was a good reminder of his love for us. And as the hot sauce ran down our cheek, it was kind of like, oh, this is kind of gross. This is blood. Then we drank the Coke and we washed it down. It's weird. It's, I'm not going to recommend it. But I hope we get to point that every time we come to the table and we have communion with God, man, that's what he wants. His love is so great. John 6, 32 describes his love. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's why the communion can never become an idol for us or something that that, that we feel, hey, this is bringing me closer to God. If communion is you saying, hey, this is where I feel really close to God, I say, pause, take a check, step back and look at your life because that bread means nothing. It's supposed to represent this, that you can have communion with God all the time, every minute, every second of every day. He is everything you need and we shouldn't be ignoring Him ever. It's just a reminder, don't forget the bread. Don't forget the blood. He's done it. Amen, do you get it? I'm not trying to cheapen communion. I'm just trying to make sure you understand. It shouldn't be an idol. It shouldn't be like, oh, this is when I get close to God. No, you have in Christ everything you need. And we use reminders so we don't get off track. And those things are often religious or repetitive things, right, that help us. I praise God for them. But never let them take the place of the real thing. The next thing is the golden altar of incense, and this represents this, this perfume that would fill the air. It was a God-given fragrant thing. A, a remit, uh, he would give the recipe. God gave them a recipe specially for it to be a sweet smell, and it was on purpose. And this sweet smell and this aroma, it, it, it is a picture of our worship. When we turn our lives over to God, right, and, and, and we recognize that he's a substitution and he's made that substitution for us and now we live in light of that, that now is our worship, that's our life. And when we live that life in worship to him as an offering to him, guess what happens? A sweet smell lifts up and hits his face. And he, that is awesome because that's what he desires for us to do that's our worship worship is not here you singing it is you living in christ 
This is a great picture. Well, Jesus, like that, also lived the perfect life. Why can your life be a sweet smell to God? Because Christ first lived the perfect life, and his life was and is a sweet smell to the Father. It's not your works. It is Christ and what he achieved. Number six, the golden ark, as you step in there to the holy of holies, the ark was a chest made out of wood, covered with gold, sporting a a crown border like the table of incense, the altar. It had all these things in it that were holy and and God things, the Ten Commandments. You have Aaron's uh, staff. You have the golden pot of manna. You have this. It all represents like moments of God showing up and coming through for the children of Israel. It is these holy things. In Hebrews 4.14, you know, all of it, all of it is really nothing unless it can be used for the purpose in which God purposed it. And Hebrews 14, uh, 4.14 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Yet without sin... Right? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This describes this ability that the, the high priest would have to come through that curtain and enter into the Holy of Holies and approach this, um, this spot, this, the cherubims that we saw, the mercy seat which sat on top of the ark. And it's all good and it's all God and his presence fills this place and it's beautiful and it's pure, it's holy, it's amazing. But what makes it precious, what makes it beautiful, what makes it extra special and show extravagant love is this, that he made a way for a high priest to come in and do something that was needed and that was to sprinkle the blood on that altar there and that cover our sins so that all, and this was the place where many would receive atonement for their sin and it would cover the sins of all of Israel. That was, that was incredible. But this is the picture of Christ where he comes and he gives his life for many and we see that in chapter 53 that that's required if this is the Messiah then what he would do would have to save us and rescue many. And this is what Jesus did when he laid down his life and went to the cross. His blood was spilled that his His offering was not just for the Jew, but for Jews and Gentiles, for many. And he becomes our high priest, goes before us, and does all that's needed for us to enter into the Holy of Holies. The seventh thing is the mercy seat, if you're taking your notes. This covered the ark. It was gold and beaten into wings and cherubim, one at each side looking down. The mercy seat tells us that there is mercy with God. The sacrifice of Christ is God's mercy seat. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he, the Lord Jesus, entered in once into the holy place, heaven, having obtained eternal redemption for all of us. Hebrews 9.11 says, But when Christ appeared as as high priest of the good things that have come then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not 
of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purifications of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify uh, purifying our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. This is Jesus doing all of this on your behalf so you could come to communion, come to the table with him. Isaiah 53, 5 says, Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. I'm looking out today and I'm seeing you sitting here and I'm saying, I'm just thankful that all of us get to receive this healing. That there's not one that it passes over. There's not one of you sitting here that can say, man, my sin is too great. God's love is not for me. No, this extravagant love covers all and goes beyond anything that you can ever think and imagine. Psalm 22 describes this moment where Jesus is hanging on the cross and he did this. He was separated from his father so that we could stand here today and have communion with him. And it says, and you will remember this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from uh, the, the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. And here it is, the turning point, and many scholars would say, this is actually what Jesus might have said at the cross. That he didn't just have that beginning phrase, but he likely said all of this, declaring that he was the Messiah coming through for all of humanity, and said, yet you are holy, enthroned, on the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them, to you they cried and, you, and were rescued, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. And I'd say today, like whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your sin, how, no matter how great it is, you can know this, that you have a rescue in Jesus that he has done everything that's needed to cover your sin. And you can have atonement for that sin. He has substituted himself, put himself in that place so that you have a way to come back into communion with God. John 1, 29, this description of Jesus. John the Baptist, pointing people to the fact that Messiah is coming. He said this, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I would love for us to stand and today this be our acknowledgement. I know who the Lamb is. I know He has substituted for me. And I am thankful that He's provided. He's provided this way for me to come back. Would you stand with me, church? We're going to worship this morning. I was thinking about this, and this is kind of my thought for sub substitution or the weight of it. I, uh, I came to my other job that I had, which was farming, and many of you know this story, but I came to the farm the one day, and there in the ditch, there was a, a cow, and I didn't know that if you tip a cow, you know, they, they don't know how to get up. And uh, that day I was standing there and I, told, I ran and told my boss and he, the, the farmer came out and we we're trying to, you know, flip him back over. And what was needed at that moment was actually a tractor. We get the harness out and we had to pull this, you know, pull this 
big, huge cow out of this ditch and get it back on its feet. And the thing was dying right in front of us. And the son of the farmer was standing next to me. He said something incredibly powerful. And he said, you know what? If I was a cow, I would get in that ditch and I would push him out. You know, if I was a cow, I was big enough, I could probably get him out. I didn't know it at the time. But that's downright like the most best gospel I've ever heard. You're in a ditch, dying. And Jesus saw you in that ditch and he said, you know what? I'm willing to become a cow. I'm gonna become just like you. I'm gonna get in the ditch and I'm gonna make a way for you to get out. And I wanna ask you, would you be willing today, seeing your pit, that you love so much. Maybe you have a puppy or a dog and you say, you know what? I'd be willing to become a dog to save that dog. Most of us say, no way. Hamster, anybody have a hamster? You'd be willing to become a hamster to save your hamster? Some farmers in the house, would you be willing to become a cow knowing that you're a cow now, willing to save a cow? This is the idea that, that is presented to us, that Jesus, the Son, of God and the sun in heaven, the light of heaven, the holy of holies came down, became sin for us. Let's take a moment and thank him this morning.